Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio, another true story from True Story FM. I'm your host, Megan Strand with Engage for Good. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by Harbor Compliance. Harbor Compliance provides services and software to help nonprofits and businesses maintain compliance with federal, state, and local government licensing requirements. Check today's show notes for a link to get a free online fundraising compliance guide or visit harborcompliance.com to learn more. We're back with another special edition of Cause Talk Radio, in which we feature a deep dive conversation with one of this year's Halo Award winners. This episode features the silver winner in the social service category, an effort called Higher Honor, a collaboration between Activision Blizzard and the Call of Duty Endowment. I'm joined by Dan Goldenberg, who serves as Executive Director for the Call of Duty Endowment, as well as a VP at Activision Blizzard. We talk about this incredibly successful effort to raise funds and awareness for the issue of veteran employment, how the team focused their efforts to do fewer things better, why they chose to expand internationally, and how partnerships with gamers, retailers, and sponsors helped elevate this initiative. Well, hello, Dan Goldenberg. Welcome back to the Cause Talk Radio podcast. Hello, Megan Strand. It's great to be back. This is, what, my third time? I was going to say, are you like a three-time repeat offender? I think so. Yeah, at least, at least. You know, on SNL, after fifth time, you get a jacket. Just saying. Excellent. (laughs) I'm going to have to work on something for you, my friend, because you are well on your way to five times. Um, Well, will you start us off today, Dan? I obviously know you very well, but who are you? Explain to our listeners, who are you and what do you do and for whom? Sure. Uh, I'm Dan Goldenberg. I wear two hats, as you alluded to. Um, I'm uh, Vice President of Activision Blizzard. I co-lead CSR across the enterprise, and I also am an executive director of the foundation, the Call of Duty Endowment. Fantastic. And we are here today. I should have started all of this by saying congratulations on your Halo Award win. Um, Your campaign called Higher Honor, which is what we're going to be talking about today, won the Silver Halo Award in the social service category. So congratulations. Um, And that's kind of what we're going to be digging into a little bit today. So um, would you maybe start off by telling our listeners a little bit about the relationship between Activision Activision Blizzard and the Call of Duty Endowment? Because I think, um, you know, it's just one of those things that be helpful for people to know before we get started. Yeah, happy to. I just want to say first, though, um, you know, we've been fortunate to win a Halo Award a number of times, and I, we just want to thank you and Engage for Good for the program. We think it, it's inspired us from the very first year I attended um, what used to be the Cause Marketing Forum. Um, it, it's inspired us to do more. I learn every time to do more, and some of the ideas I've learned we, and we've gone and implemented have led, I think, to us being successful in that. So, Thanks for the inspiration that program provides in the competition. Aww. We love to win stuff. So uh, we're, we're a video <laughs> you game are very company. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, about, well, a little over 10 and a half years ago, um, Bobby Kodak, who's the CEO of Activision Blizzard, um, founded the Call of Duty Endowment. Bobby is many things, but one of them is um, the most tenured tech CEO. He's approaching 30 years as CEO. Um, wow. And definitely one of the most, probably one of the top five most tenured Fortune 500 CEOs. Um, and he's embodied 
this concept in business called narrow and deep, which is trying to do just a couple things, you know, to, to really have focus and go deep on them and do them well. And so um, when he and the C-level executives at Activision Blizzard in 2009 decided on a cause area they want to focus on, they decided to go deep and do the best they could by learning and understanding it. And that area was veteran employment. Um, and they decided to create this foundation. Uh, we're, we're called the Call of Duty Endowment, but we're actually a foundation, private foundation. Um, to focus on veteran employment. And that's all we do. We're, we're, we like to say we're a one-trick pony, but because of that, we get to really learn about the space and hopefully have impact both, obviously, in terms of raising funds and awareness, but also, most important to us, having social impact. And um, this, the, the endowment itself is a legally separate entity. Obviously, it's a 501c3, um, but our board members are almost all Activision Blizzard uh, executives. So we're very close to it. Bobby is still the chairman of our board. He still personally approves every grant we write. Wow. He's very actively involved with what we do, um, which is really just a wonderful thing. Um, so the, the, those are sort of the official historical ties. And then because obviously Call of Duty is in our name, Call of Duty is the biggest video game um, franchise from Activision Blizzard. Um, and... So, you know, we, we get a lot of the brand lift from that, um, an awareness lift as well. And fortunately, we get to tap into um, the resources of the brand in, in trying to do activations, whether it be in-game partnerships, events, et cetera, um, because the makers of the game, our studios, our, our developers who created this, were very inspired by and continue to be very inspired by the military community in telling stories. At the end of the day, it's entertainment. It's not a simulator. Um, but you know, the inspiration for their art comes from active duty military members. Well, and just to brag on you guys a little bit, can you talk about the statistic of um, how efficiently you place veterans in jobs as compared to, let's say, the federal government? Yeah, so that, thanks for bringing that up. Um, We we are definitely a hearts and minds, but I'd say we're probably more like a minds and hearts, uh, you know, in that order kind of organization. We're really focused on the numbers, on quantifiable impact. So, um, Across the 10 plus years we've been around, um, we fund the placement of more than 70,000 vets and jobs. And we've done an average cost per placement last year of $499, which is wow. One, yeah, it's one sixth. That's even cost. better than I thought it was. Yeah, it, it went down again. Uh, and, and that all, all credit goes to our grantees. Um, but uh, that's one sixth the cost of the Department of Labor's efforts, which are about $3,100 per placement. Wow. Yeah, that's it's so impressive and it's such an important cause. So thank you for your amazing work to support those vets. Um, well, to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the endowment, you had some big goals in 2019. So what were they? How did you start out that year? Yeah, I mean, we had two big goals um, and they're tied together. One was we wanted to place in our 10th anniversary 10,000 veterans uh, and we wanted to raise the funds necessary to do that. Uh, we're really privileged in that the company covers all of the foundation's operating costs so every cent we raise goes directly into the employment grants um, to the nonprofits we support. Um, and, and currently, there's 12 nonprofits, 10 in the U.S., two in the U.K., that we support and fund in this effort. We met for them, and we, we help them grow and, and address this issue. Uh, to do that, we calculated that we needed to raise, beyond what our, you know, not counting our operating costs, again, which are covered by the company, $4.5 million dollars. Um, and that was our goal. So 10,000 vets and jobs, $4.5 million. 
that's where we started. Well, Higher Honor was the campaign you ended up launching with Activision in partnership with them. So will you talk a little bit about the moving parts of this initiative? There were a lot of them. So maybe briefly give us the bullet points because you, I mean, every time I talk to Dan Goldenberg, he's got like tw- 72 things going on. I don't know how he juggles <laughs> them all. Um, so I'm taking PTO <laughs> tomorrow. Let me tell you, I need Good it. For you. I'm sure many Good of us you. do. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, 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 for a number of years, I've said to the team, we need to do less things better. So, you know, like fewer, better, stay, you know, not only we're very focused on our, on our impact, we're less focused in how we raise funds to support that. And I said, we need to be more, you know, do better at less things. And so at the same time, I felt like it was important to try and unify them under a theme. And so we talked about that at the very beginning of the year in 2019. And we came up, and I, I honestly can't remember who came up with it. It wasn't me. I wish I could take credit for it. But the, the moniker of higher honor, H-I-R-E, honor. Um, one of the problems in the, in the space is that, um, the, you know, this is all pre-COVID, obviously. Um, right. But the U.S. unemployment rate is problematic to begin with. It, it's a, a number that essentially hasn't been changed the way we calculated since uh, 1940. So mm. it's based on a question of, Last week, were you paid for work? That's the question. So if you answer yes, you're counted as fully employed. So if you're a barista for 10 hours a week, if you mowed your neighbor's lawn for 25 bucks, if you're a reservist or guardsman and drilled last weekend, but don't have a civilian job, you're counted as employed. So it's mm. in a gig economy, especially, it doesn't matter. It doesn't measure the quality of employment. It doesn't measure how pe- well people are doing. So we've always been saying for a long time, it's a false measure. You know, when we keep hearing about these low unemployment rates, uh, again, pre-COVID, um, we'd say, well, let's dig in a little deeper and find out how people are doing economically. Are they making it? And the answer is they weren't. Um, we found out that one in three veterans was underemployed and um, veterans were 16% more likely than non-veterans to be underemployed. And mm-hmm. an underemployed means basically working significantly below your objective skill set and experience. So, that, you know, they weren't, they, they deserve better, essentially. And so we talked about that. We said, what was underlying is why aren't vets doing as well? And, you know, it was this notion that their skills and experience are underappreciated in the labor market. And so that all sort of brainstormed into um, this campaign called Higher Honor to really focus on the value of military service uh, to employers. And um, that, so that was the idea. Um, we started... Um, kind of framing up everything under it. And really there's three, well, four, four components of it. I guess I, I can't say a three-legged stool, so it's a four-legged table. Um, <laughs> but we had in-game items, um, partnerships with other uh, organizations like GameStop, uh, Costco, to name a few, Pilot Flying J, and events. Uh, something called the Code Bowl that we did is really the flagship event. Um, so, And then ultimately we wanted to tie it together thematically with a PSA. Um, and that um, was a PSA, and I can talk about it more later, um, that we were really privileged to do with film with a number of, of combat veterans, all combat veterans, and uh, former Secretary of Defense James Mattis, Jim Mattis, who is a force of nature, incredible human being. We were just so lucky, lucky to work on this with, with us. By the way, I got to tell you just a little window into General Mattis or Secretary Mattis. Yeah. Um, of all the film PSAs we've ever filmed, I've, especially or, or any celebrity work we've done, I've never seen someone, especially a high profile person, after the camera went off, take the time to literally go around the set and meet every single person and have a Aww. personal conversation with them. 
you know, no entourage either, by the way, one person, one security person, that was it. He was amazing. Wow. Um, That's awesome. And uh, so it, it was incredible working with him. He's as good as you, you see. Today's podcast is brought to you by Harbor Compliance. Did you know that 41 states currently require nonprofits to register to solicit their residents? And that once registered, nonprofits must report regularly to each state to maintain good standing? Well, what qualifies a solicitation, you might ask? Many states consider online fundraising activities such as email, website donate now buttons, peer-to-peer fundraising, and social media crowdfunding campaigns to be solicitations. Harbor Compliance can help. With deep industry expertise, providing turnkey solutions to clients of every size in every state and from 25 countries, Harbor Compliance empowers nonprofits to focus on their missions and businesses to focus on their bottom line. Check today's show notes for a link to get a free online fundraising compliance guide or visit harborcompliance.com to learn more. What would you say, just looking back on those different components, um, when you look back on 2019, what would you say was the biggest success of, of Higher Honor? Boy, there, there were, it's hard to pick one, but the thing that probably that surprised us the most with how well it did was the, uh, in, what we call the Defender Pack. So it was an in-game item. Uh, it was the biggest one we'd ever done. It was the earliest we ever started, uh, which was a great lesson for us. Um, you know, making a video game takes about three years. Uh, for what we call a triple A game, a big, big game that's on PlayStation and Xbox. It's, it's every bit as challenging, if not more so than uh, like an, an Avengers movie. Um, mm-hmm. it has a mm-hmm. cast or not, well, a cast and crew, um, of approximately the same size, the cost of wow. and everything. So the earlier you get in the process, the better the output. So we started really early. We started about, I don't know, uh, yeah, about January. So, so almost like, eight months, nine months before the product came out. So I think we were able to get a lot more tension from the studio, a lot more back and forth and thought. Uh, we also, for the first time ever, offered it internationally. There was this notion. Oh. And, yeah, and, and this was th- this is an interesting notion for uh, listeners in general. I think there was this, an assumption that, hey, this is a, a U.S. and U.K. cause predominantly. You know, who's going to want to support that outside the U.S. and U.K.? And the answer is a lot. A lot of people. Mm. So about forty percent mm. of the funds we raised came from outside the U.S. Um, wow! Yeah, we were we were really surprised. So I think that was another aspect of it. So best pack, start earlier, make it international. Um, my belief, which I think I finally was able to convince folks of, was that look, people, if it's a great item for a good cause, people will buy it. If they don't want to support the cause, that's their call. No one's making them buy it, um, but I think they will. And just like Americans are incredibly generous to international needs for funds. I think people are globally if they can afford it. And and that proved out. So that awesome. was probably the most surprising. We um really more than doubled the results that we expected from it. Wow. Uh, financially, which was was great. Um yeah, that was probably the most the biggest surprise. We're super proud of that. Um and I already told you about excuse me, General Mattis and uh you know and then like in a tough environment. Um you know, our partners were amazing. Our, our you know, GameStop, Costco, a flying J pilot. Um, they were all amazing. 
That's awesome. Well, it's really, really cool to see you guys raising money at Point of Sale. Because I remember when you started Point of Sale and you were like, well, we're going to see how this goes. Yeah. And now look at you. You're like a you're like a professional Point of Sale fundraiser. <laughs> look at you, Dan Goldberg. We, we aspire to be. We're not Children's Miracle Network, but they, well, they inspire Well, you know, us. <laughs> nobody's Children's Miracle Network. You do a lot of other cool things, too. So, um, so this year is the first time that Crash Team Racing yeah. was involved. So what is Crash Team Racing? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what that involvement was? Absolutely. So um, if you think about the video game world, there are these things, just like in the movie business, franchises. Um, you know, they're based off intellectual property characters and storylines and that are right. really beloved to people. So Call of Duty is one of those. Uh, Crash Team Rand, or excuse me, Crash Bandicoot uh, is another one of those characters uh, that a franchise has been built around. It's more of a, what we call kidults franchise. So, you know. Kidults, that's adults. a new word. I've yeah. never heard that. Yeah, so it's like uh, adults who fondly recall the days when they were kids and they want to bring those back to life. So um, we have this amazing group within the company called the Emerging Franchises Group. And they tend to work with these kind of um, smaller franchises and make them bigger. And they do amazing work. And they're incredibly well-led. And, you know, it's, it's my favorite thing. One of my favorite things about this job is the incredible people across the company I get to work with. So we, we together had always wanted to do something. And so there was this opportunity with this new game called Crash Team Racing. It's a racing game for, you know, younger, generally speaking, adults and younger audiences. Um, and uh, we wanted to see what we could do together. And they approached us, actually, which was awesome. Oh, cool. And we'd never really done anything with a cause outside of Call of Duty. And uh, it went great. It went absolutely great. Um, doubled their the revenue target. Um, wow. And they were just so much fun to work with. It, it was amazing. Um, you know, obviously different audience. So right, the message right. has to be really different. Um, but, but we were able to do that, kind of soften it up. We built this really fun first time ever, actually. This is a, an interesting lesson. Um, so it's a racing game. Uh, there are no airplanes in it, it's just cars. So we co-created this little biplane, like almost like a World War One biplane for Crash, who's kind of, how do I explain Crash? Um, almost like a Tasmanian devil kind of like character, uh, cartoony, uh, to fly around in the game. Uh, with endowment lo- the endowment logo on it. Um, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So, and, and so it's just playing with these stubby little wings so they can fit through all the race course. <laughs> uh, so it was just a ton of fun. And now they so have a plane in the game. <laughs> was that an in game item too? Like, is that what was happening? Like you were yeah, it was selling absolutely some sort of in game item? item. Yep. Okay. Got it. Yeah. That's where all the money's made in the gaming <laughs> industry. Um, you also had an event called the Code Bowl. Yeah. So what was that all about? What is that? So this is an evolution, not a revolution. So um, we, I, you know, way back in, I think, 2013, we started um, partnering with the this great group of, of gamers who are eventually streamers uh, to do something called the Race to Prestige. And this is really what this, you know, I guess, you know, it, it, it's really a charity stream that that it's, it's yep. been the evolution of a charity stream. Um, the, the model itself has changed over time because this streaming platform, Twitch, in this case, um, where we started, has changed a lot. It's, it's gotten very crowded, very fragmented. Um, and it's great. There's so many more people. It's so much more international. But if you're trying to track a big audience um, and hoping to you know, do well financially through donations, it's really, really hard and it's getting harder all the time because it's just very difficult to get a giant audience together at once with one streamer or one group of streamers on one channel. So we decided to start migrating more to a sponsorship model where we'd create this enormous event with the top names in the game and 
rather than count on individual donors, count on creating a huge entertainment value and raising money for the cause through sponsors. So we morphed that event, which used to be 24 hours a day, multiple yep. days. We've done it as long which as Which is always crazy to me when oh. I hear that people are doing this. I'm like, what is Exhausting. happening? I don't even know how they do that. The first one we did, you ready for this? 11 days straight. 24 what? hours with, with five streamers rotating. You, you yeah. gamers are... Every year we made it smaller. Your own little special breed. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> well, I'm proud to say Code Bowl was just four hours. Uh, okay. So that was okay. Much, much easier. That's manageable. Um, the eight of the top 10 Call of Duty streamers in the world. And we paired each of them with a U.S. Army esports team uh, athlete. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they competed against each other. Um, and so a totally different model. Um, but it worked great. It worked great. Um, much higher production value. It was more, you know, we had, we, we call them casters, but basically like sports commentators interviewing them and, you know, them talking trash with each other and all this stuff. It, it was great. It was a different kind of model, but it definitely evolved from that. And it went great. Hit our, hit our, uh, our goals and we've proved out our model. So. This year, hopefully, we'll be able to attract even more sponsors. It's great. Well, you also had an ongoing, I think, partnership with Costco and GameStop. So, how did that work this year? We've been um, partnering with both of them for a really, really long time. Um, with uh, Costco, it's been um, dog tags um, that are hard bundled with the games that are sold, uh, the Call of Duty games in store. Um, with GameStop, it's it's a number of things. It's uh, their incredible in-store donation program. Uh, we've been really, really blessed to be uh, a partner of theirs in this over the years. Um, and then also the the the, the um, placement of digital items in their particular SKUs, storekeeping units of the game that were unique to them, which was really neat. Um, and uh, they, they ran some other in, or another in-store promotion as well for us. So incredible partnership. I love, 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 love the GameStop team. We were just really fortunate to work with them. Uh, shout out to Joey and Martha. They're amazing. Um, so tell us about the results of your 2019 Higher Honor campaign. Like what what was the yeah. end of the day? What were you able to accomplish? We talked a little bit about it earlier, but... Yeah, absolutely. So um, financially, so remember, we were starting out trying to raise $4.5 million. We raised $8.1 million. Uh, so it went really... That's incredible. Really well. It was great. Like it blew us, blew us all away. It was an incredible year. And ultimately that will enable us to place 16,000 veterans. And oh, by the way, what a year. So that's 2019 raise to enable 2020 spend. Uh, and boy, if there was every year when we needed boy, that do we spend, need it. yeah. it's now. And you'll see more wow. of that coming out from our grantees. They're hurting. Um, you know, they're, they're, um, the demand for their services, as I mentioned, Mar- year on year, March, March of 2019 compared to March of 2020, uh, 50% increase in veterans asking for help. So, um, the money couldn't have come at a more perfect time. Um, overall, um, you know, the, the social media reach was like, was like 286 million. Um, wow. the economic value created by the veterans place was almost a billion dollars. Um, you know, the code bowl itself had 1.3 million unique viewers in just four hours. So, I mean, there were some great, great stats from that. Um, we also really worked with a lot of celebrities that we didn't expect who really got behind, um, you know, the, uh, the higher honor theme itself. Um, so it was super cool. Um, everyone from Kerry Washington and Mark Wahlberg to the Kardashian family, it was kind of wow. people we hadn't worked with before who just wanted How to How did that happen? You know, they heard about well, the work we were doing with, with Secretary Mattis and, and thematically they were really behind it. And, um, yeah, it was just 
wonderful. Sometimes, well, sometimes good things. You have to work pretty hard. Manna from heaven? Jeez, that's, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> um, well, you alluded a little bit to the PSA earlier, and I want to circle back on it because it was very, very powerful. So could you talk about why that was important, why you decided to do it? And I mean, it's a very different, that PSA was very different than like, uh, an in-game item and a crazy Tasmanian devil guy flying around in a plane. Like, it's just a very different tone. So can you talk about that PSA and why that was so important for this effort? Yeah, you know, boy, it go, goes to the core. We put a lot of work into it, and it was hard to get the mood just right. Um, we interviewed uh, literally 50 combat veterans um, wow. and to really talk to them and talk about what motivated them to serve, what motivated them during their service. And what was difficult about their transition back to civilian mm. life. And I mean, incredibly, incredibly moving stories. Um, the average person we interviewed had three combat tours. Uh, average. Wow. We had one um, one special operator who had 12. Um, if you oh think about that, it's, you know, a, a, an adulthood at war, essentially. And, you know, it, it started dawning on us that, you know, we needed someone to bring it all together. And there's no one more knowledgeable in my opinion, or articulate about the military ethos than secretary. It's very hard for me not to call him general. I have to constantly, because I always think of him as the epitome of a Marine Corps general, but, but, but secretary Jim Mattis, and, and he's as fine a human being as, as you'll ever want to meet. Um, and he just brought it together so well for us um, that um, it just worked out. And he, he is so behind the cause. Um, he gets it like, um, it's sometimes hard for, especially for generals who spend their entire, you know, adulthood in uniform to recognize what the, our youngest service members who are leaving maybe after a four year, uh, enlistment are experiencing. He immediately got it and, and, and empathized with their challenge and also understood their value and could communicate in a way where we think employers would understand. So it's just, it just came together really well. And we're, we're thankful. That's awesome. We'll put a link to that video in the show notes too. Thank you. Very, very good. You should see that. Um, anything that was particularly, I mean, we talked about things that surprised you, but like, what would you say you learned through this higher honor campaign? I mean, you're a very seasoned social impact professional, but like what, what was surprising to you? What did you learn? You know, what, what advice would you have for your past self if you had to do it all over again in 2019? You know, one of the things I love about this job, there's a lot to love about it. I, I feel very fortunate that I get to do this, but um, I'm in an industry that's changing constantly. And, and, you know, you'll hear that from almost everyone, but literally you can have the greatest game in the world and next year you're nothing. So yeah. it's, yeah. you have to adjust constantly. So on the one hand, it's painful because we don't have any real mainstays we can count on year and year. We don't have a big benefit dinner. We don't have a, a walk or a race or anything like that. Um, so every year we have to innovate. Every year we have to modify. If we're lucky, sometimes we have to blow things up and recreate them. And I, I think what it's what it's taught me is just be even when you're successful, be critical. Um, you know, celebrate the successes. Make sure you thank folks. I can never, I can never ever do that enough. But also you know, make time every year for a hard look at everything you did and say, you know, like what you, you want to sort of limit things to the, you know, ideally you want to do things that are low effort, high impact. Unfortunately, there aren't too many things in that, in that right, two by right. two box. So sometimes you do high impact, high effort and that's okay, but you need to start pruning away things that are one way or another, not in the high impact zone. 
and, and get to what's core. It's also really important to talk to your stakeholders every year and revisit your programs, what worked, what didn't, and really press them. You know, it's like in a relationship when your spouse says, you know, when you ask them, how are you okay? And they say, yeah, I'm fine. You kind of yeah. have to ask the question three times before you get the truth. So um, <laughs> it's it's the same way with partners, I think. And um, eventually you'll get like, well, actually, this could have been better. Um, mm-hmm. So I think like never being satisfied, living that sort of constant improvement ethos is really important, even on your successful things. And then you got to be honest with yourself about things that aren't working. Um, it was really hard. We took a big risk getting away from a model for our event. The, the race to prestige, which had worked very well for a number of years. But, you know, the engagement level, as an example, um, the average donation size from a viewer from that stream was $100, which is kind of staggering, right? Especially if you think who that audience is. It's, you know, it's, it's a young, relatively young audience. But the number of viewers was going down. The engagement was super high and going up. But the, the number, you can't sell a sponsorable event when your viewership numbers are going down every year, despite yeah. how passionate your viewers are so you know that's when we had to say you know what we could keep going with this but you know the if you extrapolate the line it doesn't go to a good place we need to blow it up and and try something different so that's what happened i think it paid off we're going to do it again this year but we're going to do it a little differently and better well dan thank you so so much for joining me on this episode of cause talk radio congratulations again on your halo award win and we will look forward to continuing the conversation where can people find out more about call of duty endowment online if they want to do that yeah so on, on social it's code c-o-d-e the number four that's on twitter and in instagram and then uh, Facebook, Call of Duty Endowment dot or excuse me, just Call of Duty Endowment. And then our website is Call of Duty Endowment dot org. Go to dot com. You're going to hit an age gate for video games. So dot org, Call of Duty Endowment dot org. Excellent. And you're Dan for number four vets yes, on Twitter. Exactly. Yourself, right? Got code okay. for vets and Dan for vets on Twitter. Dan for vets. <laughs> Very adorable. Well, thank you so much, Dan. We'll put all of that in the show notes, which you can find at engageforgood.com. Thanks for those of you who are listening in today live as well. And we will look forward to continuing the conversation. Take care, everyone. Cause Talk Radio. It's a true story.